The New Age Christianity Podcast is brought to you by... Hello, New Age Christian family. This is Austin Fletcher. You're listening to the New Age Christian Podcast, and this is episode number six. And today, we're asking, what about the Bible? If you've come from the Christian world, then you obviously know that the Bible is a major part of that journey. Uh, In some denominations, you might even consider the Bible to be the fourth member of the Trinity, which there's a movement these days that really is starting to ask questions about the origin of that book and all the books in it, the authors, the authenticity of the, of the history, and so many really good questions. But at the same time, is it something that maybe there's a third perspective on? Obviously, if you've listened to these podcasts at this point, I believe there's a different way to look at it. But more importantly, if you've never looked at what you believe about the Bible, I think it's time that you should take that look. And if you're going to live your life on it, at least understand it a little bit. All right, here we are, episode number six. And I'm sure talking about the Bible is one of your favorite subjects, especially as a New Age Christian. The Bible, I'm sure, has proven to be nothing but a source of joy and comfort, not a single bit of negativity or confusion. I mean, because the Bible clearly says everything that it says. And obviously, how I read it is the way God meant it. And if you can't tell, I am laying on the sarcasm super thick because... The Bible and Christianity and any discussion of spirituality is a recipe for logical fallacy, relational dishonor, and confusion galore. So today I want to try to set a foundation for uh, New Age Christianity as a whole. It's kind of a continuation of a series on on, uh, principles and perspectives that make New Age Christianity unique. You know, not that we're the only ones, but at least it. And when you when you group all of these perspectives together, it certainly makes us uh, unique and and singular in uh, how we apply these truths. You know, if you come from the Christian world, as I said in the introduction, uh, you know that the Bible is one hundred percent the source of our truth. We have no real historical connection to the, the characters of the Bible outside of it. There's not like a library of things that, that Paul wrote. I mean, there are, other, there are other biblical letters and other biblical accounts, even Jewish accounts, um, even before, you know, back to uh, ancient history. But for the most part, Christianity doesn't look at those. But Christians don't look at anything other than the Bible. And so historically, by no means am I saying that there are another, no other ways to find the information, but if you're in the Christian world, it's assumed that the Bible is your source of truth. The Bible is your source of history, and the Bible is your source of information and all of the above. It is the fourth member of the Trinity. It is the thing that must be consulted 
uh, if you have any questions about life and the verses and the and the picket signs and all of the out of context one-liners it's just a ridiculous hodgepodge of of amazingly beautiful truth and story and uh, wisdom mixed with confusion internal disagreement potential historical inaccuracies and if you're listening to this and you just heard me say that right potential historical inaccuracies and you're one of those that's about to turn off the podcast and walk away because I'm questioning the legitimacy of the Bible. I have good news for you. I actually hold a perspective of the Bible that is, I would say on average, three or four times as strong of a belief in its perfection than most people who look at the Bible as inerrant. Um, Not for the same reasons and not because I use it as a battle axe for discussion or argument, but because as I have studied it, I have found there to be a way to hold it in my heart and in my life that has never once proven itself wrong. It has never once steered me in the wrong direction. And when I've shared this perspective with others, it's actually provided freedom to honor the, the, the historical challenge that people are giving it these days. I don't know if you're familiar with the movement these days about trying to poke holes in, in the Bible. And it's inside the church. I've got some very close friends and people in my life who have studied the inerrancy of the Bible and have concluded that it is, it's got a lot of mistakes. And they look at the historical mistakes and they look at the internal disagreements Um, And if you don't, have you've never studied that, like Google it, seriously. Google internal biblical disagreement where the accounts, you know, a simple one is the account of when Jesus sends his disciples out. um, In one place, he tells them to to take only a staff. I believe it's a staff. And in another another one of the gospels that says, don't take your staff. Um, I could be wrong on the article that he tells them, but it's literally the exact opposite. Um, and so people look at that and they go, see, it's just a bunch of dudes. And why is that a big deal? Because the other argument is that it was essentially written by the Holy Spirit. And if it's written by the Holy Spirit, it can't have any mistakes. But you know what's funny about that is you have to define what a mistake is. And we can use reason and we can say when one gospel says, take your staff, and the other gospel says, don't take your staff, we look at that and go, see, it's mistakes. We go, that apostle remembered the story differently than that apostle, and therefore, there's no way we can trust what either apostle says because their memories aren't the same. And if you've, I mean, if you want to go down that road, feel free. Uh, it's one of those roads that kind of seems a bit silly for me because we know from modern science and modern psychology, you can have 10 people watch the same event unfold and get 20 different stories based on how you ask them and when you ask them and what's going on when, you know, around the scenario, um, these different mass shootings, you talk to somebody who was there and in the moment they'll say they remember this, this, and this. Six months later, they remember this, that, and those, and yet they are the same person. If you know how memory works, um, we every time you remember something, 
you it's essentially like opening up your computer file of that memory you don't remember the original memory you don't remember the original file every time you open the computer file you resave it so if you've made any changes to that memory and primarily those changes are made because you change right if you have a memory of being afraid of your uncle because of whatever and then you develop a memory of your uncle that allows you to not be afraid of him, there's a good chance that any previous memories will lose their fear and therefore they will change their energy and you will remember your uncle differently from your, for, throughout your whole life. You might remember that you remembered him being, being afraid of him, but you won't remember the actual fear. You'll just remember the remembrance. You might want to play that back over a few times because it, it's a little confusing. The point I'm making is we don't actually remember reality. We remember our memories. And so it's a bit silly to look at the apostles and assume that they're all going to remember the same things. And with that, the, those who are starting to poke holes in the Bible as being perfect, they have a lot of ground to stand on. All you have to do is be honest with yourself. If you're a Bible inerrancy person and you say that the Bible has zero mistakes, I'm sorry, you're just being unreasonable. You have your reasons for holding to the truth, but you don't have a reason to ignore what you can see with your own eyes. When you go to the ancient manuscripts, and you even, whether it's modern or ancient, when you go, whatever, regardless of the version you watch or look at, there are inaccuracies and there are internal disagreements in the scripture from a factual basis. Now, if you know me and you're listening to me say this and you're wondering, okay, Austin, what is the other side of this coin? Because I know you. I, if you don't know me, I freaking love the Bible. The Bible is absolutely a massive part of my journey, and it is one that I would never replace with this perspective of it being full of mistakes and it's just written by a bunch of men. Um, there's 66 books in the Bible. I want to say there's 40 authors. If you study it even a little bit, there is absolutely magic, spiritual magic inside of how all of these authors interplay with each other. And so that is the other side of those who believe the Bible has all these mistakes. I would say you're also being unreasonable when you, cons when you look at the whole picture and you look how it all plays together. There is something significantly more advanced going on in the verses. And I could continue down this, this slippery slope of trying to prove either side of the, of the argument. And that's really the problem with binary arguments is because the assumption is you either believe that you either have to believe that the Bible has mistakes or you have to believe that it has no mistakes. And yet Jesus always, whenever he was presented with these binary lies, he always introduced a third perspective. And I'm, I would like to spend a majority of the time of this podcast doing that. The Bible being perfect having no mistakes is in of itself isn't really that big of a deal to me. If you want to be uh, be able to live your life righteously and, and you want to know what is good and what is holy outside of the Bible, you can do that. I mean, if you 
I have no problem believing that people can be everything God has wanted them to be and never crack the book open. There are denominations out there that spend so little time in the Bible because their passion is to do more soup kitchens. You know, they spend so little time pounding through verses on Sunday morning. Um, I mean, I know certain denominations will literally go through verse by verse by verse by verse by verse. And by the end of the Sunday morning, they'll have gone through an entire chapter or two or three. And then there's other groups where the preacher stands up, says half of a verse, and then he talks about it for 45 minutes. And a majority of that sermon is the preacher's thoughts on that one sentence or two sentences. And there's everything in between. I have a no problem with either side. Where I get to with the Bible is, if you're going to say that you live your life on what is in this book, there's a perspective on it that I want to try to convey to you in this short amount of time that I have personally found to be so life-giving. And it has given me the capacity to sit in either type of congregation and not really worry about what it is they're doing to the scriptures or doing with the scriptures. And yet, personally, I find I know them better than most. I love it better than most. And I use it more than most. But I, you won't find me anymore to be somebody who's constantly got scriptures in your face. So what is this perspective? The thing is, with, with those who say that the Bible is either written by God or it's written by man, you're really unable to open up an honest look at the scriptures and connect with anyone out there who needs to be connected with. If you are locked in either one of those perspectives, those who are locked into the Bible as being absolutely perfect and with no mistakes... You quote Bible verses to people all the time. You quote them to your unsaved family, your unsaved friends. You quote it to strangers. And you have no clue that they're looking at you just dumbfounded that you would think they even give a crap about the verse you just quoted. And when you are unable to remove yourself from this perspective that it is the fourth member of the Trinity, you've really removed yourself from the reality that a vast majority of the world's population lives in. When you go to that stranger and you tell him, the Bible says, I'm telling you, he doesn't give a crap. He doesn't care what the Bible says. If he's got any respect for the Bible, it's because of the fact that it's been worshipped so highly for so long. But what does it mean to tell that homeless person or that stranger that you love them without having to use verses? What does it mean to talk to another Christian about loving the homeless and loving the stranger without having to use verses? You see, when the Bible is everything to you, it, it becomes everything you know. And when that's everything you know, the world looks at you like you're a fool because you don't know reality. You don't know the life that they live. You don't know how to touch them in their heart. And this is why massive numbers of people in the church don't even really read the Bible. Because they know they've, they've got their best friend or their, one of their acquaintances that's such a Bible thumper that they realize, wow, that person's totally out of touch with reality. I have some people in my life, man, that, that I love dearly. And I watch them interact with people who are struggling with faith, if they have any at all. 
and I watch them use these verses as if the other person magically has to agree with them. (laughs) Well, the Bible says, well, who gives a flip what the Bible says if you don't believe in the Bible? They don't. And then on the other side, for those of you who think it's got all sorts of mistakes and all sorts of errors, I would ask you, then why are you even reading it? Because at that point, you're talking about the slippery slope of subjectivity. Say that three times fast. The slippery slope of subjectivity. Well, I was able to say it again. Anyway, that's what it is. Because you're, look, you're looking at the Bible and you're saying, well, this verse was clearly got a mistake. But let me base my life on these other verses. Why? What, how do you know that those aren't mistakes? I have some people that I know, I won't say, I don't have anyone that's really dear to me. Oh, maybe I do. I wouldn't know if they haven't told me. I've not understood. If you see that the Bible is, is full of mistakes, then where do you stop in deciding where those mistakes are? Because all you have to do is disagree with what's said and go, well, that was just Mark's opinion. Oh, well, that was just Paul's opinion. Well, David didn't really mean that. And I understand the context of the covenant progression. um, And I understand that there's more to it than that. But when you really drill down, if you're one that wants to say that the Bible is full of mistakes, I I don't know why you would read it at all. And I think that's the thing that a lot of people choose to do. They just choose to stop reading it. One of the better answers to that question is that the Bible is full of mistakes, but Jesus's life is not. That's great that Jesus is the word of God, and I get that he is the true reflection of the Father. But once again, how do you know anything about Jesus? Through the Bible. So you're still basing this argument on something that you, on one hand, you say is worth living by and is worth teaching from, but then you follow it up with, it's full of mistakes. And if you keep going down that path, you give it enough time, you're not going to have anything to stand on as being a source of truth. It's simply subjective truth. It's subjectivity towards what you like in the moment, what you agree with. And this discussion about the Bible really is no different than the modern day discussion about global warming or climate change. You're going to find what you already believe. You're going to find the evidence to prove what you already think. And that's fine. But let's be honest, you're not going to change anyone's mind. And so... (laughs) <laughs> I I kind of, the number one thing that I can say to you is if, if you have challenges with the Bible, in the end, if you give it enough time and you meditate on it and you dig deep enough, you're going to find it's a very simple thing. It still comes down to faith. No different than believing that the news you watch every night is telling you the truth. No different than believing that your friends are telling you the truth when they say that you don't look fat in that dress. Right, no different than believing anything you see your own with your own eyes, and remembering your own memories. At some point, it all drills down to faith. It all drills down to belief. And if you want to pretend like you have empirical proof about anything, specifically philosophical, spiritual, historical stuff, you're just you're, you're being dishonest with yourself or you're not giving it enough time to really come to the conclusion. It really just comes down to faith. What do you believe about 
anything that someone's telling you. Once you can swallow that pill and you can get away from trying to prove all this stuff, I believe you can enter into a, a higher level of discussion about if God did interplay with this book and if these apostles and prophets and historians throughout the scriptures were men writing about events taking place and their perspectives on events taking place and spiritual truths and visions they were seeing, if there were men engaged with this process and let's just say <laughs> that the, the scriptures are inspired and that the, the, the spirit was also engaged in the process, is it possible to have a perspective that allows room for both perfection and mistakes, for both God-breathed and men-remembered? Um, <laughs> one of my favorite arguments that I've heard for the uh, Bible being full of mistakes is that they, I've heard somebody say, well, the Bible never says it's perfect. And I want to be like, well, if it did say it was perfect, you wouldn't believe it. Like, if I have to tell you I'm perfect and you don't think I'm perfect, me telling you that I'm perfect is not going to mean jack squat to you. You're not going to believe me when I tell you that I am something and vice versa. It said it was perfect or not perfect or whatever it said. What you believe about it is at the root of it. And so... I think if you can get away from that and you can get away from that lie or that, that, that need to be able to prove this, I think there's a third perspective that I want to share with you right now. I believe that the Bible was inspired by God, by the Holy Spirit, and that men wrote it. I believe these men wrote it through the wisdom they had. I believe these men wrote it through the best of their memories. A lot of them are just stories or histories. I believe the visions and everything they saw were interpreted the best they could. Yet the Holy Spirit was involved the entire way. And why I believe that this is relevant is because on one level, I believe the Bible has zero mistakes. And that level being and the level of analogy or types and shadows. If you're familiar with the uh, book of Hebrews, there it talks about the temple um, or the tabernacle of Moses being a type and a shadow of the true temple, which is you. And so that's where the phrase types and shadows come from. It's kind of an old, an old uh, King James version of saying analogies. Analogies and stories of what was true. If you understand that we are Israel, then you understand, you begin to get into a way of thinking that would say, well, if we are Israel, is it possible that studying Israel can reveal who we are? <laughs> Deep thought, right? If is, is it possible that studying the temple can reveal who I am as an individual? Is it possible that studying the entire Old Testament as an analogy and a story can reveal to the church everything that it is walked through past tense and potentially even what it's going to be walking through future tense. I believe that is the lens to read the scriptures through. In addition to understanding covenant progression, which will be another podcast 
If you want to know more about covenant progression, I highly recommend Jonathan Welton's teachings on it. But covenant progression being one lens, it's a historical lens, but most importantly to me, the types and shadow lens of seeing everything in the scripture as having a deeper meaning, as having a perfect uh, analogy and a perfect uh, buried treasure in those stories. For me, I have used that lens every time I go to what I perceive as being an internal disagreement. And I dig deep. I dig deep right where that scripture is, and I find a nugget that blows me away. One of my favorites to prove this point is, I believe it's in Chronicles, and I want to say Second Kings. I'm not sure. I should have written this down before I started. But there's a story where David chooses to take a census, and it's recorded in two different places. And in one of the spots, it said that David, uh, the, the devil inspired David to take a census, and it made God mad. That's one version of the story. And then elsewhere in the same story, it's written that God inspired David to take a census. Right? And he got mad, which is a whole other discussion. But literally, the same story talks about Satan and God And it says, and it puts them in the same position in this story. Now, I've actually heard it preached from a pulpit that this is proof that the Bible has mistakes. I heard that sermon and had this belief. Remember, it's about faith. It's about belief. And I had this belief. I looked at it and I honestly said, wow, that is fascinating. I've never seen that that stark of a disagreement inside of scripture And there was no denying it. I mean, I can be dishonest with myself and I can close my eyes and put my fingers in my ears and say, I can't hear you. I can't hear. But honestly, I I did. I heard it. I, I saw the scriptures. I saw the disagreement. And as somebody who holds the scriptures very preciously, it was a challenge that I took back to my faith and I went, perfect. Thank you, Holy Spirit. There's an amazing lesson to be learned here. Well, guess what? I went back into the Hebrew I went back into studying Satan and what Hebraically Satan even is. And you, if you know me now, you know I don't even believe in the, in the modern day concept of Satan. And this study is what started me down that path. Because Satan, Hebraically, is not a being. It is a position. It is, um, it's like saying the president inspired David to take a census. It's a position. Well, depending on when you're talking about, it could be President Obama, could be President Trump, Bush, any president. So it's not the person, it's not Trump, it's president. It's not Satan a being, it was Satan the position, and Satan simply means opponent or opposition. So in this case, when you look at both accounts of the scripture, and you understand what's going on with God and David there, saying that God was playing the opponent in this scenario, there's absolutely true. Contextually, if you go look, it's absolutely true. So God was being Satan to David in that story. God was being the opponent to David in that story. When I saw that, and I realized, oh my gosh, 
Satan isn't at all what we've been taught. It sent me on an entire six-month study on demonology and Satan and, and all of that stuff. And I've come out of the other end of that study with a completely different perspective of evil and darkness, which is real. I'm not saying that there aren't demons. I'm not saying that there aren't very powerful beings. But the Satan, you know, with a capital S and everything that we've been told about the devil with the pitchfork and the the forked tongue and the pointy tail and the red tights, that's a lie. It's a bold-faced lie. And that scripture and that story about David and Satan being the opponent and that opponent being God, that is where I am so thankful that I have beliefs about the Bible that have been proven over and over and over again. Now, remember the context of the sermon where I heard that? The context of the sermon was, here's proof that the Bible's full of mistakes. And if I didn't have the beliefs I have about the scriptures, I would hear that sermon and I would go, oh crap, well, I guess the Bible's full of mistakes. I guess everything I've been taught is a lie, whatever, whatever. And I've watched people in that very service leave from that season at that community and their lives have been completely destroyed because not only that, but other foundational things were being challenged over and over and over again. And while the challenge is beautiful, you know, I love to challenge things. There are certain things where you have to follow them all the way through to their logical finality and realize, where does this train of thought actually take me? And in the case of poking a thousand holes into the scriptures, the train of thought takes you to one very obvious place, and that is the scriptures are of no use to you in the end. If you want to view them as a place to get some interesting insights and and you want to get some interesting perspectives, great. But I can read a history book. I can read a book from Tony Robbins. I can read anything. I can read a horoscope and get some interesting perspectives. And let's be honest. I mean, that is exactly how most people view the scriptures is it's kind of like a horoscope. It's kind of like this, this spiritually etheric book that you can't really prove. You can't pin down. Great. If you want to hold the Bible that way, and you want to hold it in that light, then just be honest about it. Don't pretend to build your life on it. Because if you do try to build your life on that, and yet that's your perspective, all you have to do is face something a little bit more difficult than normal, or face something a little bit different. And you'll look at that verse that you used to hold so dearly, and you go, yeah, that must not be true either. Because it is a slippery slope of, you either kind of have to have faith that it is what it is, or you have faith, or you don't have the faith that it is what it is. I don't think either perspective is going to make or break your journey. You can absolutely believe the Bible's full of mistakes and not worth reading and still manifest Christ-likeness. I, I firmly believe that. Likewise, I mean, heck, the church didn't have the Bible for the first 1,500 years like the Gutenberg printing press didn't come out until way, way later. So if you think that the Bible is absolutely necessary for righteousness, you're wrong. I'm just telling you, you're wrong. I love you, but it's not even remotely the point of the scriptures. And if you think that it is perfect in every single way, yet you don't know how to read it, 
and you don't have the lenses for it, what you do is you become a fundamentalist Bible thumper that doesn't know how to relate to the world. And so I believe between those two, being honest with its its factual challenges, yet seeing its spiritual perfection, to me is the answer to be able to sit in front of somebody and go, yeah, right, you know, who was right, Mark or Luke, in the way they remembered that story, or, or you know, maybe there really was never a king so-and-so, or maybe this battle never really happened. Um, you know, historians are doing their best to prove the Bible and its history wrong. So, like I said, with global warming or anything like that, you're going to find what you believe. You're going to find what proves you right. But let's be honest, the historical evidence of the Bible is pretty minimal. They found comparatively. I'm not saying that there isn't any. I'm just saying comparatively. They've, they've found very little of the a lot of the cities that were mentioned or a lot of the battles that were mentioned. Yet, if that's what you're looking for, that's all the proof you'll find. You'll find that there's no evidence and that there's no archaeological this and vice versa. I think you get the point. So how do you hold the Bible in such a way that says, I believe it to be spiritually perfect, yet I'm not concerned about how physically accurate it is? To that, I can't really convey to you the journey that I've been on outside of just saying, look, Every time that I've gone back to my faith and I have believed the Bible to be everything the Spirit gave us, everything we were meant to have, what I've done is I have looked at those things and I've said, okay, Mark says take the staff, Luke says don't take the staff. Why? Why is that imperfection in there? Where is the analogy? Where is the deeper spiritual picture to be found? Where is the truth that the Spirit has buried? And I view those moments literally like X marks the spot. If the Bible was a map to spiritual treasure and you wanted to know how to read it, look up every imperfection, look up every historical inaccuracy, look up every difference in recall in the historians themselves, look up every time that one verse seems to say, God is the devil, and the other verse just seems to say God doesn't want David to do I mean, it just, <laughs> all of those disagreements, all of those fallacies, I believe, are X marks the spot. That if you are a diligent seeker of truth, you will dig deep right there. I've never been disappointed. I hope that you're hearing in these podcasts perspectives that are changing your life. I hope that you're hearing in these podcasts perspectives that are reconciling so many disconnects, so many binary arguments that are being destroyed with that third option. And I'm telling you, the reason I can do that is because of this view that I have of the Bible. It's become how I view life in general, that the binary decision is a lie that nuance is actually part of the creative process and that holding things to seemingly opposing ideas and holding them with this faith reality, it always proves itself out in the end to be the better way. So I know this was a bit of a challenging discussion for those of you who may not really give a rip about the Bible. Hopefully you can at least hear a perspective about it that says, oh, okay, cool. 
I mean, I don't read the Bible. I don't really know it that well, but it makes sense to me that there would be some spiritual, you know, that that spiritually there's there's truths and treasure buried all throughout it. Great, cool. I look forward to hearing more. And I, there's tons of people in my life that that view me as kind of the their their personal treasure hunter because they know they don't have the skills or the experience to dig in those spots, whereas I do, and I freaking love it. But if you're one of those people that isn't a big fan of the Bible, don't worry about it. Awesome. I hope this at least gave you a perspective to look at some other people who are trying to thump it over your head and just kind of lovingly roll your eyes and walk away. <laughs> I guess, you know, there, there's the loving eye roll and then the not so loving eye roll. I don't know. Those people drive me nuts as well, especially when, you know, I used to pride myself on being to, being able to out Bible them. Um, and out quote verses and out historical context and all that. It's like, if you're not familiar with that world, it's kind of like its own subculture of nerds who just are constantly uh, measuring themselves against each other to who knows more and who, who can quote better and memorize better. And I was always really good at that game. I still am. I just don't play it anymore. Now, if you're one of those people that absolutely loves the Bible and you're not sure that you can swallow this pill that there's historical mistakes or recall errors. I don't know what to tell you because if you just read it, they're not hard to find. Google it. You'll find lists and lists and you'll go to verses and you'll go, oh crap, that's pretty obvious that that's a difference in opinion. That's a difference in meaning. I don't want that. I don't want you to Google that stuff and go let it destroy your perspective of the scripture. I want you to go Google that stuff and take it as an opportunity to be honest with yourself. But once you've done that, re-listen to this podcast. Give me, uh, hit me up on Facebook. Send me a message on the forum, which is coming very soon. Chat underneath the uh, this particular uh, podcast on the website. I hope you hear this and you and you look at those and you Google those lists of mistakes. And instead of lying to yourself and walking away and saying, oh, that's, that's bullshit. No, it's true. It doesn't take a genius to find those mistakes. So what are you going to do about it? My hope is that you'll turn your spiritual mind on and realize every one of those mistakes is there on purpose. Every one of those errors is X marks the spot for a spiritual truth. And in that way, I am able to hold a perspective of the scriptures that is so incredibly high and so incredibly precious. At the same time, I too roll my eyes at Bible thumpers these days. I too find myself when I hear a message that has so many verses quoted and so many, you know, the Bible clearly says, look guys, the Bible clearly says very little. <laughs> it very confusingly says a hell of a lot. <laughs> but clarity is not something the Bible is known for. Don't believe me. I think we're up to 48,000 denominations now in Christianity. Um, so the Bible doesn't clearly say. But uh, I too don't have patience for that anymore. And... Um, Yet I can, I can roll with those people. I can, I can hang with those discussions, 
But for me, it really is about being relevant to what people need to hear and taking those scriptures and taking those verses and making them useful for somebody who doesn't know the Bible, somebody who doesn't care. I've met so many Christians who just have condemnation hanging over their head for years because they don't know the verses. I have so many people tell me, oh man, I know I shouldn't, I wish I knew the Bible like you did. Because they think and they've been taught that knowing the Bible is like some automatic gift to righteousness. It's like a get out of, it's, it's get out of sin free card if you know enough verses. Like seriously, some of the most educated verse quoters I know are the biggest buttholes you've ever met. That has nothing to do with being like Christ. And some of the some people I know that wouldn't care to quote a verse to you to save their life look more like Jesus and act more like a true believer than the PhDs that are sitting in universities thinking they're better than everybody else because they know the verses. We all know this instinctively, and I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to say that the Bible automatically produces jerks. What I'm saying is, if you're one of those people that absolutely loves the Bible and you've never considered that it may, there may be a different way to look at it. Hopefully this podcast has helped you challenge some of those thinking. And I love my solution. It's never once proven, proven itself unworthy of it, the, believing it. Um, I have found so many treasures and so many perspectives that have changed my life and the lives of those around me. Yet at the same time, I haven't been accused of being a Bible thumper in years. And most people like that. Most people actually enjoy talking to me about God because I don't quote verses at them all day. Because I don't have to. There is a way to hold the scriptures in the right light that allows you to love people and love the scriptures and not go insane and not not sweat over every little challenge that comes. And I hope that you've found enough nuggets in this to take your own journey with spirit and ask him, Spirit, what should I believe about the Bible? If you're one of those people that hasn't read it much and, you, and you've been condemning yourself that you're supposed to, seriously, let it go. There is, there is plenty to do in the world without knowing verses. If you want insights and you want perspectives, there, there, to, the, to the writing of books, there is no end. I promise you, you will get more insight out of somebody's study of a, of a verse and they wrote a book on it, right? I don't pick a book, uh, purpose driven life, right? I know there's verses in there about purpose and, and, and calling and stuff like read purpose driven life and don't try to go study the Bible for yourself. If you don't want to, if you want to study the Bible, by all means do it, but don't feel like you have to, don't feel condemned to go read that book. As a matter of fact, I tell most people don't read it, please. It's just going to screw you up. The Bible doesn't clearly say anything. And some of the theology that comes out of people when they go read that book without the tools they need, without the experience and the training, it's scary. It is scary what some of those verses can do. So yeah, the Bible is a beautiful thing. I freaking love it. It has changed my life and I continue to believe that it is perfect in the way that everything that is there is meant to be there. All the mistakes are meant to be there. And I get it if you're one of those people just rolling your eyes like, dude, come on, there's just so many mistakes. You're right. And we could have a deeper discussion about how, how I answer that question. But the ultimate result is 
I believe the Spirit is strong enough to give us the book that we need for our time. There's lots of other options that could have happened to give us the book that we use, but the one we have, if the Spirit can't bring us a tool that we need for our time, then how can we trust the Spirit to do anything in our own personal lives? I mean, it's a book. If I can't trust him with a book, how am I going to trust him with my kids? So, I love you guys. I hope that this one wasn't uh, too boring. It's 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 a fun subject for those who are passionate about it. It's not so fun if you're if you're not a big Bible fan. You might have already you might not even be listening at this point, which is fine. Uh, next week we're going to talk uh, about the church and its its true meaning, its true place in the world. I think it's time to revisit how it all works. And, uh, and then from there, hopefully we will start getting into the subjects that you guys uh, really care about. Um, log on to Facebook, start asking questions. It's uh, New Age Christianity is the, pa- is the Facebook page. We do have a private community. Um, there's a private group on the Facebook page that uh, corresponds to those who have accounts on the website. Um, the idea of having a public and a private side of this is sure the message needs to get out there and if, how, how are you going to hear about it unless it's public at the same time there's a community we want to build and that community how do you build a virtual community across the planet well the best way is is through invitation if you know somebody and somebody shared this with you um, becoming part of that community becoming part of that discussion is absolutely something we want to hear from you we want to get to know you and uh, we look forward to continuing to grow together please consider donating and by all means if you have not heard the the podcast on tithing and giving i encourage you to go look at that donations and uh, organizations that run on that are going by the wayside and so a lot of what uh, you'll be seeing coming out of new age christianity are paid services and 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 different things like that, but we deal, still deal, st- still do take donations, and would highly appreciate you just asking the spirit whether or not you should. And uh, we look forward to uh, seeing you guys in the next podcast. And if I don't talk to you before, if you don't hear from me before the next holiday, Merry Christmas because it's coming up. All right, thanks, guys. <laughs>